a lot of what we try and do is work on the acceptance aspect, but also a lot of you know, the concept of reframing. You know, what is your mindset? How do you reframe? So, you know, if the individual is feeling down on themselves, you know, I'm stupid, I can't get this done, I can't do my homework, whatever that might be, how do you work with them to identify what they do well and where their strengths are? Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited today to have Tom Bergeron on from Inventive Labs, and he will explain to us what Inventive Labs is, but we're also going to chat about finding your path, how to help our kids find their own path and being okay with them taking their own journey, whatever that looks like for them. Thanks so much for being here, Tom. Will you start, just introduce yourself, who you are and what you do. Thanks, Penny. I'm honored to be on the show. Um, I'm uh, the co-founder of Inventive Labs. Uh, we run a career and business incubator, really working with uh, college-age students, uh, most of them with either ADHD, dyslexia, or autism spectrum. And it's a hands-on program helping individuals find their path forward. We explore a lot of career and school options for them, and a couple even start their own business. Now, personally, myself, I struggled a lot in school, um, but really, once I made it out to the business world, I find a lot more success. So I've noticed that a lot of folks successful in business have similar traits and do well in the workplace, and are really committed to kind of helping the next generation find their path forward and get their careers launched. So we believe it's a journey. It's not a race to the finish line. And kind of each individual has their own journey they take to find a livelihood that really offers them fulfillment and success. I love it. I'm so in love with it. You and I talked back when you were launching Inventive Labs and I was so excited about it. My son was probably middle school age then. He just graduated. But it's just a really exciting opportunity for kids who have struggled in school and who aren't ready yet or may not be interested in sort of the traditional path to four-year education. Let's start, I think, by talking about how to let our kids really guide us in discovering their path. It starts early, right? Yeah, it does. It's interesting because, you know, one of the questions you get is what age can you, should you start talking to your children about careers and what they want to do for a living? And definitely for younger kids, they tend to say what the adults want to hear. So, mm-hmm. um, so you always, when do you have that discussion? I, I think a discussion you can have early on though, and this continues even for us up through our program is really kind of what are the activities that bring enjoyment and bring energy? So, or engagement. So definitely with ADHD, the hyper-focus aspect. So what are the activities that your child will hyper-focus on that they want to spend a lot of time? And as importantly, what brings them energy after? Because sometimes those activities, um, you know, building a Lego set, building it up high, when it collapses at the end, it drains all their energy. So mm-hmm. watching for the activities that drain energy for them, as opposed to one that then when they're done, they have a lot of positive energy coming out of. That's such a good point that I hadn't really thought about. You know, kids can... And and adults, we can enjoy something, but still find it really draining. And if it's draining, maybe you don't want to do that thing all your life every day. Exactly. Yeah. 
I think for adults, it's kind of easy. You can, you know, you may be engaged in discussions on politics, but at the end, you're quite drained, where someone else at the end is, has a lot of energy from it. So I think as adults, we have those same things, but work with your child and even having conversations is important so they can start recognizing themselves, what they really enjoy doing, and what are the components that they really feel good about once they're done. Yeah, and I think this is such an important topic, especially for our families, our neurodiverse kids, because a lot of them don't do well in school. And so we tend to, as a culture, decide that that means they can't be successful adults, which is absolutely not true, as we know. And it's just so important to really start thinking about their interests when they're young and what could that career path look like. Like, for instance, my kids have both been into video gaming And my daughter picked a school for animation for college and then took about a year's worth of classes and decided animation was not for her. It was not what she wants to do every day, but she has transitioned into something else that still allows her to potentially work in that kind of industry because that's what is really exciting to her. And I think as parents, we think of things like gaming as a waste of time when they could be completely preparing a kid for a a particular career of interest or for just, you know, the way they they look at life and constantly sort of leveling up. Yeah, I think that's a key component for us is activities that a child can feel good about. And quite often that might be outside of school and whether it be sports or gaming or music or art, whatever the component is, that's really a key component for self-image. Because when you're struggling in school, you can really form negative self-images. So mm-hmm. having that activity that they can fail well well about is good. And the other kind of piece of it for that penny is also by doing, you learn a lot. You talked about your daughter. You know, the idea of being an animator was probably great and sees the finished product, but actually doing it sometimes is different. Right. One of the, uh, I forget the name, unfortunately, but one of the uh, um, actresses on Broadway, she talked about she can tell who's going to last in the field, who isn't, because the people who make it are the ones that love to rehearse. They love to audition. She said, everyone loves opening night. You go out there and you're on stage and people clap, but it's the one who really you know, love the details, what others might consider the grind that do well. So having mm-hmm. your child go out and experience doing things, uh, things that they feel they may enjoy, actually go out kind of doing it, see the details. And for some people, actually animating just brings a lot of energy. It's very tedious, a lot of work, but they really enjoy it. Other folks, they enjoy the end product, but not necessarily the activity to get there. Exactly. Yeah. And really exploring. You know, sometimes our kids have really odd or quirky interests and really just being open and thinking outside of the box and exploring all ways, you know, all sorts of perspectives of that interest, maybe. Like, for instance, I had a conversation with Dr. McEachern once about finding your child's strength, you know, using a strengths-based approach. And she had worked with a teenager who was completely obsessed with roller coasters. That was his interest. And he wanted nothing to do with anything else but roller coasters. And they really explored that. What are the different careers that could go in that? What are different jobs? What are the parts that you enjoy? And he ended up becoming an engineer who designs roller coasters. And he loves it, right? And it's such a a topic that we would not think really has the amount of expansive opportunity that it does. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's one of the things we really look for is kind of the non-traditional careers. And ironically, I did work, um, I did a lot with computer-aided design in my prior career and uh, actually did work with one of the few roller co coaster companies uh, in the U.S. And amazing group of folks, very creative and um, engineering, but also a lot of creativity that kind of went into it as well. So mm -hmm. the ability for, for us, we kind of look at heading into careers, two aspects. There's aptitude and there's also interest. And someone who may have the interest in roller coaster may not have the engineering aptitude to do it. But there's also a lot else you can do in that field. You could be someone who does marketing for them. You could be the sales guy traveling around to the uh, amusement parks to sell them. So we look at interests, but we also look at aptitudes. Where do you kind of fit into that? And so from a you know path forward, almost any industry that you have an interest in, you can take an aptitude you have and kind of move in that direction. Yeah, there's so many creative aspects of so many industries. And like you said, marketing and business and sales are common throughout a lot of industry. And so you could be super passionate about roller coasters and go out and sell them, you know, and be a great yeah. salesman <laughs> because they're exciting to you. So it's just really a matter of like being completely open as a parent. You know, we just have to really throw out the box and be completely open and creative about it and let our kids you know, give them the opportunities to explore all of the things that they find interesting or passion around. And I think the interest, that's kind of what we like to look at. You know, for the younger kids, it's kind of working at interest in what brings engagement. For the oldest um, students, as they start actually looking for particular careers, and we start having that discussion as far as what direction are they going to go in. Um, you do then start honing in a lot on potential interest and in, in passion that they have, but also what is the path for that? So we talked about an engineer as for the roller coaster. So that might include the having a four-year degree, at least a four-year degree to be an engineer there. Versus if you look on the sales side, a four-year degree would help you get into sales for that, but you don't necessarily need it. So it's what direction they want to go, but also looking at the path to get there. And there's quite a few professions, sales being one of them, that you don't necessarily need a college degree. Um, great if you have one, um, but there's a lot of aspects you can do on that. And there's other careers you look at. If you determine that's the direction you're going, then you definitely have to map out you know, the school aspect and reasonable aspect of uh, can you make it through the school. Right. And I love that you brought up that there are plenty of careers that don't require a four-year degree or a graduate degree. Um, I think there's a lot more than people realize out there that's available. My son and I have started just looking at what's around while he sort of takes a little time off of school and what programs, what classes do the community colleges offer in the area and stuff like that. And really just seeing how much is out there that doesn't require a four-year degree and that could be really interesting. You know, it's not just sort of what we call grunt work, I guess, or, you know, something that's not so interesting. There's lots of opportunity. Yeah, we're, we're big fans of community colleges because they tend to be a lot more synced into the uh, workforce than a lot of the universities mm -hmm. do. Uh, they have a lot of strong relationships and a lot of certification type programs. And even on the technical career side of things, a computer programmer, you don't necessarily need a four-year degree. There's certain companies, if you want to work for Google or others, some of the larger companies, you probably need the four-year degree. But there's coding boot camps that last three, four months where you can go and it's full-time. You spend all day, you learn how to code, you build a portfolio. And a lot of the smaller companies, startup companies, if you have the ability, they'll bring you on board and you get to kind of launch your career that way. So um, regardless, as you said, there's a lot of careers out there that people may not recognize, but you can definitely go a different path to get to that career. 
Yeah, and I like that you brought up the coding and the aspect that you don't really need a four-year degree. My husband's good friend has no college degree, and he's a very successful programmer. I've been with the same company for 20 years or so, I think. So there are some things like that that I think you just have such an aptitude that you don't need anything additional. And I think companies are starting to recognize that more. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, if you go back, the degree wasn't quite as important. My wife's grandfather was actually the chief engineer at a power plant, and he never had a formal degree, but he's a very good engineer, worked his way up. Uh, Nowadays, it'd be very difficult to take that path. Um, But as you said, I think companies are starting to realize there's other ways to find talent and skills out there. And it's kind of a long path, but uh, there are definitely companies doing it. And companies like SAP and Microsoft and Ernest Young are out looking at um, alternative ways to hire now and alternative paths for bringing folks on on board, especially for the neurodiverse, for the, yeah. uh, the folks who think and learn differently. Yeah, and it's so exciting. It's so exciting to see us talking more about neurodiversity and companies and employers really embracing it. You know, the world is changing in a positive way in that aspect, and it's really exciting to see. Do you want to talk? Let's talk a little bit about Inventive Labs. Let's talk about what that process is, what you guys do. Um, it's obviously a successful program. You've been around for several years now, and I would love for you to share a little more about it. So, yeah, we started originally purely as an entrepreneurship program, uh, helping folks generate business ideas and then launch those business ideas. And what we kind of realized through that process is a lot of individuals really liked one aspect of entrepreneurship, starting their own company. Uh, as a doctor, they may have you know, really liked the sales side. They merely, may really enjoy developing product to the customer interaction a- aspect. And that kind of, with a lot of the folks that came to us, actually went off to successful careers. And so we've adapted and we've added a gap year and a career pr- program as well. And both of those run very similar. Um, what we do is we spend about four months with them on a discovery phase. Uh, about two months of that is building up a whole list of potential careers they could do. Uh, we try and get to about 50 different options. The ADHDers are great. They usually come up with 100, 200 options, almost right. too many. <laughs> <laughs> we have some of the more critical thinkers. They may struggle to get to 30. But um, but either way, we evaluate that larger list, get it down to top 10, and eventually a top three at the end of that discovery phase. So here's three things that really fit me well, and I have a strong interest in doing. And our second phase of the program, the next four months, is called launch. And that's actually building a plan for them to get there. Does it need schooling? Does it need certification? Let's do some projects that mimics what that, like you said, for your daughter, mimics what animation would be, what do you do day to day? And kind of building out a plan. We get mentors for them as well in that industry so they can see what the day to day looks like, which we think is missing a lot kind of in the in the college environment. Uh, but helping them build a plan and see exactly what that profession looks like. And as they leave our program, they're ready now to go to a school. And quite often for ADHD in college, knowing why is a big piece for success. So they're in school and they know why they're there and what the endpoint looks like. Um, and sometimes just directly, as we said, into the career force or some other certification program. Yeah, it, two words come to mind as you describe it, structure and guidance. And the mentoring aspect, I'm really glad that we're talking about that. Because I know a lot of successful adults with ADHD that I've spoken to over the years, finding a mentor really made a huge difference for them. Yeah, we agree. The mentor program is probably one of the strongest pieces. Um, It does multiple things. It 
you know, it helps them understand what's going to happen going forward, but it also gives them connections into the industry as well. And it gives them kind of real world. Uh, most jobs, you can have different aspects of it. You can have uh, people who kind of more introverted personalities kind of working on aspects and folks who are more uh, extroverted side um, that might be doing more presenting and stuff like that. And they can kind of see the industry better and identify, you know, which direction they want to go. So if you're going back to school, knowing what classes you want to take really helps if you kind of know where you fit in that field um, that you're going into. So the mentorship is key. And as you said, the structure, uh, we give a lot of freedom. So unlike a typical school environment where you have certain projects you have to work on, they get to identify the projects they want to work on. But the important piece of that is having some structure around it. So setting some goals, setting some timelines. We meet with them daily in the morning for a check-in. Hey, what are you working on today? What's the timeline? And we have one-on-one meetings with them uh, every week, at least two meetings where they meet with one of the guides to kind of go through where they're at in their projects and talk through it. And that's probably, we do a lot of sessions, but those one-to-one interactions are probably the most important aspect of the program. Yeah, and I would imagine for creative types, often the business aspect, just like, what do I do? How do I get started? All of this that you're sort of guiding them through is not really intuitive and more difficult often, I think, people find it when they're in a super creative um, space, you know, a, a career or a job or a passion in that space. And so often they really have everything they need to be really successful, except you know, that day-to-day business sort of stuff that people don't think about all the time. They have a great idea and they're really excited about it and they want to do something with it and have their own business. But getting there can be the really hard part. And it's amazing that you have this program that helps people with great ideas actually be able to bring them to fruition. Yeah. And Rick and I come from a business background, not an education background. So we really try and build the structure to be more like an office environment, which again, allows a lot of folks to kind of shine and show their talents, which is good. Um, but also, you know, in that more office environment is the ability to, uh, you know, reporting structure and update folks on what you're working on. So really kind of giving them the freedom to do what they want, but also some accountability. And really, they put the accountability on themselves. They set the timelines and they put accountability on each other because they all know what each other's projects are at and keeping track of that for each other. Yeah. What size of a group do you typically have? So we tend to run cohorts, about 12 folks, sometimes slightly smaller, um, 10 to 12. We find it's a big enough group to have some diversity, um, but also small enough that everybody knows each other really well. You know, one of our key components is just, you know, acceptance accepting of others and kind of working together for others. Um, we fail in the school system sometimes, a lot of great individuals doing a lot of great things, but sometimes the accommodations kind of take over the acceptance aspect. And for us, we see that as a big difference. Um, we often fail accommodations. Why aren't they offered to every student? That way, the folks who, the students with an IEP may not feel may feel different or left out of the group by having a special accommodation, where if you can expand those to the larger group, and really accept everyone's differences. It's just a lot better experience for the child. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love for education in general to go that way because we all have different needs. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, and we're not modeling that very well in regular education, I think. We're saying, oh, you, you, this group, you have problems. You know, it's just the wrong message. Yeah, Jared Blank, he's an author. He's um he has dyslexia. Um and he's done a marathon. I think he did seven marathons in seven continents. And he has a great book just talking about his struggle through dyslexia and through school. And he talks about in high school, 
when he didn't need a lot more support, he still felt he wasn't really part of the the normal quote unquote normal group because he still had to use the resource room. Um, you know, yeah. that stigma for him is something that's staying with life. So it's great that there's a resource room. It's great that he had those extra services that help. So, you know, we're big fans of accommodation, but also how you present that and how it's done in the school system. Why can't everyone use the resource room? Why did it need to be like, oh, the special needs kids go there? Can you set it up in a format that um, everyone feels like they can use it and everyone who's using it kind of feels accepted as part of the larger group? Yeah, I remember my son in ninth or 10th grade, he would say over and over, I'm the only one like this here. I can't find anybody. There's no one else like me. There's nobody else that this is this hard for. And even with an IEP and accommodations, he still was not seeing other kids who felt really similar to him. It was so unfortunate. And and he did find his tribe and that got better. But just his sense of self at school was really tough. And, you know, programs like yours come along and say, you know, we just want to focus on what you're awesome at and we want to help you succeed with that. And we see that all of these things about you, that it's greatness, there's greatness in everyone. And we're going to help you sort of let that shine, which is so powerful. And then actually, Varus was actually one of the drivers for starting the lab. You know, for me, it, my son had the same experience as your son. He had an IEP since uh, before first grade. And by high school, he just didn't want any more help or be associated uh, with needing help. So he really kind of pushed back on that. Um, so a lot of what we try and do is work on the acceptance aspect, but also a lot of you know, the concept of reframing. You know, what is your mindset and how do you reframe? So, you know, if the individual is feeling down on themselves, you know, I'm stupid, I can't get this done, I can't do my homework, whatever that might be, how do you work with them to identify what they do well and where their strengths are and reframe so when they get in that mind, when that negative self-talk starts that you know, we all have, especially I think ADHDers have really strong. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, I can't do my homework. I'm just stupid. It's kind of changing around to, well, what do you do well? Well, I've pushed through homework before. I tend to work really hard at it. Um, so does that mindset change this, you know, someone who, I may have more challenges, but I have persistence and I can kind of push through that. So, you know, there's a bunch of different examples on just mindset. Me, I'm late a lot. So, you know, I can beat myself up for being late and kind of missing uh, missing sessions, but I can look at it that, hey, I live in the moment. And that's a great thing. There's a lot of books out there talking about the power of living the moment. And I tend to be able to do that naturally. And, you know, by living in the moment, you tend to be able to engage with folks and individuals. And that's a good trait to have as well. So when beating yourself up for being late, you know, changing that mindset, reframing a little bit um, helps a lot. And uh, we do a lot work with our students and we have a worksheet on that too, as far as how to kind of work with a child to help reframe their thoughts from a young age and through getting older. Yeah, reframing is so crucial. And my work with parents, I'm talking about reframing all the time, all the time, you know, we have to look deeper and see what's really going on. And change our perspective about it, not be so negative about a lot of things, especially. And so I don't think a lot about actually teaching the kids to reframe themselves, but that's so necessary. You know, that changes whether you're walking through life really distraught and down on yourself and feeling like you're somehow broken because you have ADHD or autism or dyslexia. And when we teach them to reframe, we're teaching them that they need to focus more on the good stuff and less on the struggle and and focus on the struggle to be able to 
adapt to it or cope with it or strategies to work with it, but to really reframe everything to think about it in a different light is really, really important for kids too. Yeah. And I think also, you know, making sure they're not personalizing it as well as far as mm-hmm. making it as the individual staying focused on the action for us as part of that reframing aspect as well. And what we really love about it is it you, know, you do hear about reframing, kind of working with uh, adults and students, but reframing for me came originally, I, we do a lot in the lab based on design thinking. And it's also a philosophy through designing products as well. When a designer gets stuck, they use design thinking to reframe what the problem is. Um, so it's actually, it's a tool that can be used in multiple aspects of life. And I just love how you know my different backgrounds have come together with something like reframing that ties into uh, into both aspects. Yeah, it's amazing. It's super, super helpful. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how folks can learn more about Inventive Labs? How long are the sessions? All that good stuff? Okay, yeah. We have a website, inventivelabs.org, um, that folks can go to and take a look at. The sessions run um, four months. We pretty much match the college calendar. Uh, so we have a fall session and a spring session running the same September through December and then uh, late January through uh, through early May. Um, there's a lot of information about, you know, for us, I think the alumni tell our story better than I can tell it. So there's some mm-hmm. stories from some of our alumni talking about their path, you know, where they were before they started with us and kind of where they went off. And actually one thing that we'll be working on this spring on social media is kind of where are they now? We'll be focusing on a bunch of our alumni um, and sharing kind of the journey they took and where they're now. Um, as you said, we've been doing this now since uh, 2014. So we have quite a few folks who've made it through college out in the workforce. Um, some have started their own businesses, kind of seeing success. So for us, it's really nice to be able to focus on where they came from and kind of what they're doing now. Yeah, that's so fun to be able to reconnect with them. I'm sure it's fulfilling for you guys as well to find out where they are. But it's so it brings so much hope to your other potential future students to at least see success stories, whether they go through Inventive Labs or not, to see somebody who's struggled in similar ways and they're doing well. We need so many more of those stories out there. Yeah, we've been blessed with having a lot of uh, you know, guest speakers who come in. We call them artisans that come in and share their story quite often who have ADHD or dyslexia and kind of share their path forward. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about now, Penny, is we have some of our alumni who are now becoming those guest speakers because mm. uh, they're in a field of interest that someone else. So whether they're in college or whether they've made it through college and kind of out in the industry, it's great having them come in and kind of share their stories. And I think it's just great for students of all age to see folks who've had some of the same struggles with them and really be honest about those struggles. You know, I feel we live in a society where we all try and be perfect, whether yeah. it's because of social media or elsewhere, to have folks who can step up and talk about where their struggles are. Um, also talk about their strengths. You know, this is what I do well. This is where I struggle. This is how I've accommodated for some of the challenges. This is how I have folks who help me out. So you ever talk to students? Um, about that and especially in our education where everyone wants to get an A on everything to talk about the other areas you do well areas you don't do as well and see examples of adults who are successful who can tell their full story not just the glamorous story of how wonderful everything is yeah it's so exciting when people are real authentic you know and share that we all have struggle we all go through you know life ebbs and flows and I don't think we are very open with that message. So kids with differences and even adults with differences really struggle with that because they don't see a lot of other people 
like them. They don't hear stories as much about people who they can relate to. And so it's really exciting that more and more of that is happening. I wanted to ask one more question before we close, which is, can you give us some ideas, some examples of the different kinds of interests and industries that some of your students have brought in and, and worked through there at Adventive Labs? Okay, that's a real good question. We tend, you know, I think a lot of time we have artistic folks and we have um, technical folks. Um, on the artistic side, it's always how do we make a living out of art and kind of going forward. So we've had folks who've taken that interest and really gone into conceptual art in the gaming industry, uh, which is pretty cool to watch them do that. Uh, yeah. But also I think a path that people may come, you know, find pretty quickly. But I think one of the things, stories I really like is the therapy aspect. So we've had alumni go off for... Um, art therapy and drama therapy. Oh, nice. And which is really a neat way to take, you know, folks who really like helping other people. So just talking to them, we talked earlier, what do you like, what do you like doing? So one of our students, she really liked working with kids, you know, babysitting kids, watching them. And she loved art. She was really concerned about going for the art degree. And then uh, Leslie College in Boston, we did a tour out there and they started talking about their art therapy program. And for her, it was an immediate click. It's like, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. I was interested in psychology. I was interested in that. I knew I couldn't get through eight years of school for psychology, but you now I can get this art therapy degree, which spends a lot of time doing art, but also talks and hits enough psychology. And then, you know, that's a career path. And then drama therapy that kind of tied off of that. And then we've also had some folks go into cybersecurity, which is great, especially mm-hmm. the gamers. You know, cybersecurity is kind of a game of breaking in and uh, ethical hackers trying to get into systems. Um, and how do you defend against that, uh, which has been great. And then also the startup world is a great workplace, especially for folks um, with ADHD or autism, where a larger company, typical workforce, may be a struggle. If you have the skills, um, the smaller companies are great. We have one of the gentlemen is working um, for a company. They take electric vehicles, uh, electric trucks. Uh, they turn them into battery packs and electric vehicles. But unlike an electric car, they're not using the energy to run the vehicle, they're using it to run the cab overnight because about a billion gallons of diesel is burnt every year by truckers for cooking and heating in the back of their cabs. So they're mm. taking that battery power. So it's kind of a cool concept. He was able to start with them really as an intern working unpaid and now he's a pot owner of the company. It's kind of cool to watch him take that path forward. That gave me goosebumps. <laughs> it really did. Now he's part owner of the company. Like that's just... It's so amazing to see people succeed. And our kids who are neurodiverse, they have so many ideas. And having something like Inventive Labs to help them sort of put it together and make it something that they can do in real life, that they can keep on that path of that interest, but also to succeed with it, it's just remarkable. You know, it's, I wish college could be like that for everyone really yeah. <laughs> you know think, have think, the training but also have yeah. this yeah and i think craig's an excellent example on that where he went off to that company because he originally tried working in an office setting and he was pretty technical but he could not sit there for 40 hours a week yeah. at a desk and stuff like that so he changed to something that he's out active he's now working with batteries working with trucks still using his intellect but being physical at the same time for him it's just a really good match so it gives me goosebumps as well, kind of looking back, kind of see some of the journeys and where they started with, but helping them find that fit that works well. And I think that's a lot of the message for us is, you know, really give it hope for folks who, a lot of parents, you know, struggle seeing their child in the workforce in the future, how they ever going to 
going to succeed there if they struggle in school. Uh, the workforce is, tends to be much more diverse. Um, school is, in many ways, a limiting environment. And I just feel in the workforce, you can really open up and find a path that matches well um, for what the skill sets are. Yeah, I love that you brought up limiting environment because Inventive Labs is the opposite of that. That's our goal. <laughs> yeah, that's what they need. Yeah. We need to stop limiting people and really look at every individual, which I could get on a big soapbox about and I won't. But, you know, <laughs> we need to be raising individuals. We need to be educating individuals. And programs like Inventive Labs offer that. And I think it's really remarkable for a kid who has been through K through 12 and just has had a really bad experience and doesn't really feel capable of doing more school doesn't you know they they get so beaten down when they keep trying and keep trying and they're misunderstood and their best isn't accepted and then they don't have any interest in kind of learning or developing anything else and you know a program like inventive labs can offer something that really isn't school that really caters to them and can turn around that really negative self-image. And we definitely feel people are natural, curious learners. And given the chance to go out and do that, um, sometimes it's just liberating for them and changing around the image of I'm not a good learner, I'm not very smart. Helping them change around that image is probably one of the biggest things uh, to allow them to go off and then explore and be successful from there. It's brilliant. I've been a fan for years. And I so appreciate you taking some time to share more about the journey for our kids in general and about Inventive Labs. Really great information. Um, For everyone listening, you can get the show notes where you can find the Inventive Labs website, any other resources we've mentioned, and more ways to connect with Tom and his team at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 120 for episode 120. Thanks again. I really appreciate it, Tom. With that, we'll end the session. I'll see everyone next time. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.